You're listening to Black and Abdallah. Live from the Old National Bank Studio on State Street, across from the historic Chicago Theater. This is ESPN Chicago. WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago. A good karma brand's radio station. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. You can also watch us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 1000 Chicago. Talking a lot of bears with you today. You want to jump on in 312-332-3776. Black and Abdal have the evening off. They were in for Greeny earlier today. You miss any of that? Be sure to check it out on the podcast, on the ESPN Chicago app, or wherever you get your podcast. And... They will be in for Greeny tomorrow as well from 10 to noon right here on ESPN 1000. I'll be with you from 6 to 8 p.m. on the night show. All right. So there was this list on ESPN.com earlier today from Seth Walder from ESPN Analytics ranking the 100 most valuable players of the 2022 season. All right. Now, here's how Seth puts together his list. In his own words, he says, this ballot obviously represents my opinion. That opinion is naturally inclined toward data-based evidence ranging from pass block win rates to our receiver tracking metrics. I also relied on qualitative analysis such as pro football focus grades, awards like all pro teams, and the opinions of colleagues and people that work in the league. So really no surprises at the top. Um, You've got Patrick Mahomes at number one. He seems like he's going to be the runaway MVP winner this year. Josh Allen at two, Jalen Hurts at three, Joe Burrow at four, and Justin Jefferson at five. Here are my big takeaways from this list. First of all, only one Bears representative on the list, and I think that's pretty easy to discern. Um, Justin Fields checking in at 77. I guess we'll call it one and a half Bears representatives because at 74 is where you find Roquan Smith. So... In the top 10 here, I see six of the top 10 are quarterbacks, right? No real surprise there. The first offensive lineman checks in at 25. Now, before that, you've got six defensive linemen before you even sniff an offensive lineman and seven pass catchers. You got six wide receivers plus Travis Kelsey, a tight end in there. Seven pass catchers before you get to the first offensive lineman. And I kind of look at this as my guide for the Bears in building this team moving forward, right? I look at what I'm seeing on this list and what I'm looking at as the Bears' biggest needs heading into the offseason. I think it's pretty easy. I think in no particular order, but Bears fans are on the same page. The order's shuffled up, but the top three needs, I think, are very unanimous in terms of what they are. The order can be argued about a little bit, but you've got, you need some sort of number one type of wide receiver. You need help on the offensive line and you need a lot of help on the defensive line. Personally, my order, I would go, I need to find an edge rusher. Then I need to find a number one receiver. Then I need to find an offensive lineman because you may have some offensive line pieces within your system right now. Braxton Jones had a solid rookie season, landed himself on the pro football focused all rookie team. 
Um, and also, you think about his background, too, coming from southern Utah, not a beacon of football excellence there, but you give him an offseason in an NFL weight room, and who knows, maybe he turns out to be something, and you've got an offensive lineman as your GM who picked him, maybe he does have a good eye for what this team needs on the offensive line, and maybe he did find a diamond in the rough in Braxton Jones. Sure, maybe he's not your left tackle of the future, but maybe he's your right tackle of the future. Maybe you found something in Tevin Jenkins, too, at the right guard position. Cody Whitehair has been a mainstay on this offensive line. So maybe there is something on the offensive line there that you can build around and you just try to patch up two of the other spots over at right tackle and at center. Now, by far and away from me, I need to see this team go out and get an edge rusher because I think that if you shore up the defensive line and get a couple guys in there that can get after the quarterback, you're going to find yourself in a much better situation because not only does the defensive line get better and you get after the quarterback, the defensive line makes everyone else on defense's lives easier. You look at the secondary, who I thought actually played pretty well this season, especially given the circumstances. I think the secondary is one that you've got to grade on a curve given the fact that they were asked to cover receivers for five, six, seven seconds, it felt like at times. All because you couldn't get after the quarterback. Make the quarterback make tougher decisions and make them make bad decisions, and you're going to see the the defense come away with a few more takeaways and really capitalize on the T in the hits principle that Matt Eberflus likes to preach. Then I go with the wide receiver at number two on the Bears list of needs this offseason. And I think that this list here kind of tells you something similar. 312-332-3776. What are the biggest off-season needs for the Bears? What is your priority number one? For me, it is defensive line. And I see all the edge rushers here, and I, I'd imagine something on the defensive line is where we will see the Bears make their first overall draft pick. I'm not saying it's going to happen necessarily at number one overall, but wherever the Bears end up picking for the first time in this upcoming NFL draft, I'd imagine that need is addressed on the defensive line for a couple of reasons. One, it is a wide glaring need and something that I'm sure Ryan Poles is very, very aware of because right now it doesn't even seem like you have an NFL caliber player on that defensive line. And then number two, the pick of the litter as well is certainly there. When you think of who's at the top of the board with Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, those are guys that I think Bears fans would be very, very happy to have be a part of their football team moving forward because you may get yourself an edge rusher or a three technique that's going to set you up really nicely for the future of this team. So how are you feeling about where the Bears are going? Because Quite frankly, too, I think the offensive line prospects you can find in free agency a little bit easier than you can in the draft as well. Well, you can find offensive linemen in the draft. I don't think that'll be a problem. But I think when you are as flush with cash and the ability to win any sort of bidding war that you want, which is paramount in the NFL given how short the career spans are, the ability to win a bidding war is going to set you up pretty nicely in terms of going out and getting an offensive lineman. It seems like offensive line is a a little bit more open in terms of there's a lot more depth to it in this free agency class 
than there is on the defensive line than there is certainly at wide receiver as well. So I think that's one of the reasons why I'm looking at this Bears team, and that is why you got to go out and try to find yourself an edge rusher and a wide receiver over the offensive line right now. I just think it is a much bigger glaring need for this team. And this list of 100 MVPs in terms of the, the 100 most valuable players in football right now shows you how important the wide receiver and the edge rusher and defensive line position is. You can go out and find guys that can make plays for you and make Justin Fields look better. The, this past season... The Bears were last in the NFL in yards after catch. Dead last. You want to see Justin Fields throw for 300 yards? You want to see him go for over 4,000 yards in a season? You need a little help from your receivers as well. And if your yards after catch is as low as the Bears was, it was under 1,000 yards this year, which I'd have to go back and look at the exact rankings, but not many teams were under 1,000 yards for the entirety of the season. I believe the Kansas City Chiefs were number one and had double the amount of yards after catch that the Bears had. You go out and find some game breakers like that, some speed guys too, you're going to put yourself in a nice situation to make Justin's numbers look better and ultimately give your team some more success as well. I think that finding that receiver is going to be something done in the draft more so than free agency, but you could also look at it as maybe there's a trade to be had out there as well. Can Are you interested in what the Bucks may be shipping out this upcoming offseason. We, we saw what happened on Monday night in that playoff game. It seemed like, for all intents and purposes, that is the end of Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. And for a team like Tampa Bay, who right now has the least amount of cap space in the entire NFL, I think that's one that's ripe for the pickings in terms of, all right, let's go try to grab a receiver there. Now, I know Mike Evans may be the trendy name there, but I think Chris Godwin is one that probably aligns a little bit better with the Bears' timeline. He's 26 years old right now. He can kind of play all over the place for you. I think he fits in a little bit better to the Bears and what they want to do. Listen, you're probably going to have to pay a lot more than you would for a guy like Mike Evans. When we had uh, Albert Breer on the station a couple weeks ago, Meller and I were filling in, and I asked about what would it cost to get Mike Evans and Albert said it probably won't cost you a whole heck of a lot just because he's on the, the wrong side of 30, and you could probably get away with a second or third round pick in that regard. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what the Bears are going to do this offseason, and also what receivers may become available as well. Because entering last offseason, of the big wide receivers that were traded, right? You look at A.J. Brown, Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams. How many did you, honestly, as a football fan, how many of those three did you go into that offseason saying, yeah, I think that guy could be on the block. He maybe moved this offseason. I would have struck out. I would have went 0 for 3. I didn't think Devontae Adams was getting traded. I didn't think Tyreek Hill was getting traded. Maybe if the situation surrounding A.J. Brown was explained to me a little bit more, I could have talked myself into it happening. But I think overall, I would not have guessed A.J. Brown would have gotten traded. Now, maybe someone in Tennessee would have thought differently. Uh, a Titan, Your casual Titans fan down there maybe thinks a little bit differently on whether that trade w- would have been made. But 
you never know who's going to become available. And I feel like that's kind of the mode that a lot of NFL fans, not just Bears fans, but NFL fans are in now is, all right, who's going to be that next trade target on the wide receiver market? Because that seems like something that has certainly become more and more prevalent as we've moved along here um, in evaluating uh, players and stuff like that and seeing who could become available because we've seen this league start to tilt itself a little bit to becoming a little more player-driven. Feels like Tom Brady sort of kicked that ball off when he ultimately leaves New England and showed that, you know, I can spurn a team that I've had all this loyalty for so long. And then we saw Russell Wilson force his way out. Deshaun Watson force his way out. All these receivers moving out because they're not getting paid as they wish to be. And we're starting to see the NFL in terms of player movement turn a little bit more into the NBA. Just look at this past trade deadline too, right? Like how many more trades did we see pop up this trade deadline than we're used to seeing at the NFL trade deadline? It was the most exciting NFL trade deadline we've ever seen. And it's because I think teams are a little bit more willing to move pieces and i think players are a little bit more willing to to try to move and find their way out of certain teams as well three one two three three two three seven seven six if you want to talk bears i do want to get into the nfl playoffs because i've got some playoff reaction from this past week and what we saw in the nfl playoffs and what it kind of says about where the league is heading We'll do that next on Black and Abdallah. Tyler Rocky sitting in for the guys here on ESPN 1000. Black and Abdallah, ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. I'd like you to meet someone who's really special. It's Black and Abdallah. A real inspiration. Follow us on the gram at Black and Abdallah and at ESPN underscore Chicago. try to predict the future a little bit later on the future of society a hundred years from now all right we're gonna do that in just a little bit here on black and abdallah tyler rocky in for the guys today they were off tonight they were in though for greeny earlier today you missed any of that check it out on the espn chicago app on the black and abdallah tab or wherever you get your podcast black and abdallah they're in for greeny again tomorrow which means I'll be back with you tomorrow night riding solo from six to eight right here on espn 1000 you can also watch us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 1000 Chicago. What's going on, Twitch crew? All right, so we've been talking a lot about the Bears, but I want to get into the NFL as a whole because this past weekend of NFL playoff football was magnificent. You look back at some of the games that we saw. We had a mega comeback with the Chargers and the Jaguars. We had a, a great game between the Niners and the Seahawks, albeit a blow-up, but an entertaining game, I thought. Um, the Dolphins and Bills was fantastic theater. The Giants taking down the, the Vikings, who go 11-0 and in one-score games all season long, and then they get to a playoff, the playoffs and play in a one-score game and go 0-1 when it matters the most. Uh, the Bengals beating the, the Ravens in dramatic fashion with a walk, not a walk off, but a, a go ahead, uh, 98 yard fumble return for a touchdown. And then you also have 
did we see the demise of the GOAT, Tom Brady, on Monday night as the Cowboys laid the hammer down on the Buccaneers 31-14. to But here we go. I've got a couple of prevailing thoughts from what we saw in this past weekend in the NFL playoffs. All right? Let's start with this one. Coaching won this week. Coaching was the absolute difference maker in a number of these playoff games. You look at what's happening to start things off here, right? You've got Kyle Shanahan and a third-string quarterback that probably hasn't taken a meaningful practice rep prior to being named the starter since training camp. Brock Purdy is spinning it right now. 332 yards, three touchdowns. You know, it's funny. I looked at the numbers. Jimmy Garoppolo this season, 16 touchdowns and four interceptions this year. Then you bring in Brock Purdy. What has he done since taking over for Jimmy Garoppolo, including the playoffs? 16 passing touchdowns, four interceptions. You've got the same guy in there. Remember a lot of the conversation around the Niners when Trey Lance went down was, you know, Jimmy G stepping in there. Did that actually help the 49ers' chances of winning a Super Bowl? I thought it may have. Trey Lance was a great unknown, whereas Jimmy Garoppolo, you kind of know what your floor is with Jimmy G. And Brock Purdy is giving you the same sort of production here. And you know, Kyle Shanahan's going to have to make a decision if the 49ers get to the conference championship and maybe even the Super Bowl. Who are you rolling with that quarterback? And I don't think it's going to take him very long. I think he's got to roll with Brock Purdy because of what he has done. I know Jimmy G's got the playoff experience. He's gone to a Super Bowl. He's played under the bright lights. But Brock Purdy has not seemed phased by anything since taking over for the 49ers. And Kyle Shanahan, this is a huge feather in his cap to be riding a double-digit win streak into the playoffs with a third-string quarterback at the helm. And the other guy who you won some games with didn't take any practice reps in the in training camp because he was injured and you were trying to trade him. What he has done is nothing short of spectacular, and he should be the coach of the year in the NFL for what he's done. Usually when you get to the second-string guy, you can kiss your playoff hopes goodbye, let alone the thought of making a postseason run. And he has done the exact opposite of that. Kyle Shanahan is the coach of the year. All right. Another instance of why coaching won the weekend. Look at what happened down in Jacksonville. Look at what happened in that game. The Chargers out to a 27-0 lead. And what do you know? Trevor Lawrence rallies from down that deficit. It got They did get the one touchdown right before the half. Through four interceptions in that first half. You know, this was this was really funny to me, too. Jeff Meller brought this to my attention. This was Brandon Staley talking after the game. Or this was on Monday after in his season-ending press conference. He was asked, do you feel like you were outcoached in this game? This was Brandon Staley and what he had to say. I thought it was a tight game. I thought that for a half... Um, you know, I, thought, I wouldn't say that, that was the case for a half. You know, I think at the end of the game, um, you know, that team that we were playing showed a lot of fight, a lot of resilience. I thought it was a high-quality game uh, against two teams that are, are both young and hungry. 
Um, and so I thought it was just a high-level game all the way around. And so um, I think Doug's an outstanding coach, and um, I know that we were coaching at a high level, and um, hopefully we're going to get another chance at those guys. So that was Brandon Staley after. And you know what? It's gotten to the point now. I really liked Brandon Staley about a year ago when he started with the, the Chargers. I liked the new age approach that he took to it. Did he take it over the line a couple times? Sure. Yeah. But he's, he's slowly turned into the dope on the sidelines. We've seen that with head coaches. They, they start to get this look of fear or danger is ahead. You can see sort of the deer in the headlights on the sidelines. And I think we've gotten to that point with Brandon Staley. There was another coach like that, too. I'll get to him in a second. But on the other side, you've got Doug Peterson. Second-year quarterback playing in his first playoff game. And he goes out there and throws four interceptions in the first half, three of which went to the same guy, Asante Samuel Jr. The fact that you could rally a quarterback to still have belief in himself after that and go out there and throw four touchdowns and run for another, 288 yards for Trevor Lawrence. I get he's got the pedigree of a big game. He's won a national championship at Clemson as a freshman, played in another got to the college football playoff in a, a third time. I get that he's not afraid of the bright lights, but sometimes those bright lights blind you when you throw four interceptions and a half. In fact, I wouldn't say probably. They do blind you when you throw four interceptions and a half. But the way that Doug Peterson calmed this quarterback down and said, you know what? You've got nothing to lose really in this second half. Might as well play with no fear. And boy, did he play with no fear in that second half. Trevor Lawrence was fantastic, and he looks like one of the best quarterbacks moving forward in this league. One of the guys that we'll be talking about in the top three conversation over the span of the next five years. Another instance where coaching was the difference. You look at what the New York Giants have done with Daniel Jones and Brian Dable getting him ready for this moment, playing in his first career playoff game. And you would have thought that he was the guy that came into this playoffs with a 13-4 and record. The way that the Giants maneuvered up and down the field, like we're not talking about a team that was just a short drive merchant, right? No, this was a, a Giants team that when they were scoring, they were going 75, 80 yards on those touchdown drives. I'm looking through at the the scoring log right now, all right? You had a a 75-yard drive, an 81-yard drive, an 85-yard field goal drive, a 75-yard drive, and another 75-yard drive. All their scoring drives took at least three-quarters of the field. And how Brian Dable has prepared Daniel Jones for this moment, Brian Dable knew coming in, this was going to be a project at quarterback. I have to see if this guy's ready, if he can be a quarterback in my system. And you heard the great story about earlier in the season when he was in training camp and he would set Daniel Jones up for failure in training camp. He would collude with his defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, and say, all right, here's how we're going to set this play up here. I'm doing it. I'm giving you what you need to run on the other side of it so we can see Daniel Jones fail. And on the flip side, we're going to put Tyrod Taylor in there for a couple reps, and I'm going to set this thing up so that he succeeds. You're going to call this play. We're going to manipulate the situation here. 
And we're going to do it and see how Daniel Jones responds to adversity. And Dable loved what he saw when the adversity struck for Danny Dimes. And he's loved him ever since. And were there some rough patches in the beginning of the season? No doubt. But we've seen a completely different quarterback in Daniel Jones. I'm not here to crown him as this Brock Purdy type. I think that that Daniel Jones is just a a serviceable quarterback who you're going to see in this league for a while. And I think he's your quote-unquote system quarterback. But when the system kicks ass, you've got a quarterback that looks like they can kick ass. And that's what we're seeing out of out of Daniel Jones right now. Coaching won that game. Coaching won that game for the, the New York Giants. And you got to give a ton of credit to Brian Dable and what he has done there. Then the last one, Todd Bowles. I talked about Brandon Staley. He looks like the, the dope on the sidelines. I think we've reached that point part two with Todd Bowles. You could see it when he was with the Jets. And you're seeing it now with him as the the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They looked unbelievably unprepared. It looked like a a head coach that didn't realize Micah Parsons was on the other sideline. You knew Micah was going to come out with a vengeance after being snubbed from all pro by his peers. And he was going to tool up and and get ready for a game and, and just be an absolute game breaker. And the amount of times that he was just unchecked on blocking assignments up the middle, you could see how outmatched the Bucks looked. And I'm not saying Mike McCarthy's some genius on the other side, because we all know he's far from that. But what we do know is that we saw one coach that didn't shoot himself in the foot, and we saw one coach that did. And that is what we got out of Todd Bowles in this game. And you look at the way that the league is trending now. I think we're seeing a little bit of a I don't want to call it a a ship's passing in the night moment here because I think that's the wrong terminology for it. But you're seeing a shift in what the NFL is. And you're seeing a maybe passing of the torch is probably the better verbiage here. You look at the eight head coaches that are left in the NFL playoffs right now. Seven of the eight our offensive backgrounds. Seven of the eight head coaches in the NFL right now in the playoffs are offensive-minded. Gives me a little bit of pause for what the Bears have right now with Matt Eberflus, defensive-minded guy. The lone defensive-minded guy right now is Sean McDermott. And we've seen how he's built up a staff that has put together a game plan. And not just that, but... it's kind of the the hand-me-downs too, right? You got Brian Dable, who was the genius on the offensive side of the ball last year. He was the offensive coordinator. He got that thing right with Josh Allen. He developed him as a quarterback, turned him into one of the stars in this league. But the hand-me-down effect, the trickle-down effect was, all right, Ken Dorsey, you're the quarterback coach. You can slide in and it's a seamless transition. You're going to maybe put your own little twist on it here. But it's going to be a seamless transition moving to the next guy. And it's been that with the Bills. Maybe the turnover's up a little bit. But the that has been a seamless transition offensively. This Bills team looks like it has not skipped a beat on that side of the ball. And that's one of the things that Matt Eberflus, listen, it looks like you have a good hire with Luke Getze. You just got to hope the trickle-down effects there that the day that Luke Getze ultimately leaves is 
Andy Janoko, the quarterback coach, is he going to be all right stepping into that and running things the same way as they were? Is the system still going to be in place there, or do you have to go out and find a totally different guy? And I think that would be a mess for the Chicago Bears franchise moving forward. The other little note I want to bring is the age of the playoff quarterbacks. 29 is the elder statesman right now remaining, and that is Dak Prescott. Everyone else, 27 and younger. Future is extremely bright at the quarterback position. You look at Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. You're seeing and Trevor Lawrence, Brock Purdy even, Jalen Hurts. Like you're seeing a dawn of a new age of quarterback. Gone are the days of Breeze, Brady, Rodgers, Manning, Rivers being the guys, Roethlisberger, that dominate these NFL playoffs. That torch has been passed on now. It is a new generation of quarterback, and I'm excited to see because look at all those guys. They played into their late 30s, some of them even into their 40s. And the oldest guy in terms of like this quarterbacks, this crop of quarterbacks that excites you right now is 27 years old. We could be looking at this group of guys for the next decade and a half. And to me, that is unbelievably entertaining. And I cannot wait to watch the next generation of that. Because not only that, but now you're going to have the new crop of quarterbacks come in. Who knows what you're going to see from guys like Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. If you go a little further down the line, you get Caleb Williams, maybe a little Drake May. And this isn't even talking about maybe one of the most exciting guys in that crop of quarterbacks and Justin Herbert, too. He was eliminated. But you were going to get a, an entertaining quarterback in that next round no matter what, whether it was Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert. So I'm excited to see the future of the quarterback position because the next decade and a half is in fantastic hands moving forward. So those are some of my prevailing thoughts from the opening weekend of the NFL playoffs. It was fantastic theater, and I think we're going to get just as good of matchups this weekend when you look at the Chiefs and the Jags, Giants and the Eagles, Bengals and Bills, and the Cowboys and 49ers. All right, coming up next, I've got a list of some headlines from 1923 that were predicting what the future would look like in 2023. I'll bring that list to you next, and we can judge how right or wrong they were. That's coming up on Black and Abdallah. You're listening to Black and Abdallah. ESPN Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to Black and Abdallah on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Follow the show on Twitter at Chris Black and at Adam A. Abdallah. of predictions here that were made in 1923 about 2023. All right, I've got Nick Muxala here. I've got Kale Jacoby here as well. We're going to kind of suss through some of these here and and see what's fact, what's fiction. What did they get right in 1923 about 2023? And what did they maybe get wrong? So 
This is a list here compiled by Paul Ferry. He's an instructor at the University of Calgary. All right, so this is number one. All right, these are all, these all have um, kind of newspaper clippings attached to them, all right? Newspaper clippings attached to them going through the different predictions made in 1923 about 2023. This first one here. The workday will be four hours long. No more hard work by 2023. Dr. Charles P. Steinmetz, the electrical expert, believes that the time is coming when there will be no long drudgery and that people will toil not more than four hours a day owing to the work of electricity. He visualizes an amazing transformation of life in 2023. Every city will be a spotless town that also is to be the work of electricity. Four-hour workdays. You know what? I'm not going to say he's wrong. Okay? And here's why. I see what my roommates do at home when they're, they're working from home. I would say it's a, a 50-50 split. The, the work to Fortnite balance. So your, your typical 9 to 5, I would say 4 hours are Fortnite and 4 hours are actual work. Or 4 hours are milling about to go find some other task or errand that needs to be run. So I would say that Charles P. Steinmetz is correct. That with the advent of work from home, the workday truly is four hours. I'm going to agree with you on that one. They didn't know what the internet was, but they knew something like it was coming. Electricity. They had like the Nickelodeon back then, and they were like watching little strips of animation. So that little strip of animation was like, hey, if this gets, if this grows, we're not working at all in the, in the future. Four hours at most. So they, I think they nailed that one with the entertainment prevailing then. I'm with you. I'm with you there. All right. Here's the next one. All people will be beautiful. I think if we uh, take a poll and just maybe look in a mirror, we can tell that that one was not correct. Fewer doctors and present diseases unknown. All people will be beautiful. Beauty contests will be unnecessary as there will be so many beautiful people that it will almost be impossible to select winners. The same will apply to baby contests. I think I this that one was uh, pretty pretty dead wrong. Baby here. contests? Yeah. Never see like the baby contest. So, like, was that like to who would be the Gerber baby back then? Were they trying to figure I out think like the... something like that? If you've seen like I think you should leave too. Like okay. there's yeah, the baby skit in that one it. too. Yeah, um, baby contest. Yeah, but all people will be beautiful. That is certainly not the case. <laughs> Next one. This is Paul Ferry's list of he compiled a bunch of old newspaper clippings of nineteen from nineteen twenty three, making predictions about what life will be like in 2023, 100 years down the road. Life expectancy will be 100 years. We have not gotten to that point. That one is dead wrong. What are we, like high 70s right now? Yeah, so right now in the United States, the life expectancy is 77.3 years, 74.5 for men, 80.2 for women. So we're high 70s right now. We still got about another quarter century that we need to tack on there so i think that one dead wrong there and there's statistical evidence to back that up i think the invention of fast food might have uh stopped that that is that is a good point there although there's also like there's also like methods too that i feel like make people younger as well 
but I feel like the that takes more work. Probably. I think, I think we're waiting for those like Neuralink chips to actually bump us up. I think that'd be the next thing to combat fast food, like yeah. like kale's name. Yeah. This next one, how about this one? I like this one. Life expectancy will be 300 years. A scientist says a century from now, the average length of a human life will be 300 years. Quite a change we of today have been living that long about once a month. I don't know about you guys. I have zero desire to live to be 300 years, not 100 years old, let alone 300 years old. Maybe in 2123, that's realistic. You think so? We'll get to that point. I, I am not on team let's live to 300. I won't be there. I, what kind of quality of life would you have at that at that point? Is the question. And also, like, do we need three hundred year olds around? Like, we might see a bear Super Bowl. We might. <laughs> you know, we might. We if could. I have to be, if I can look at it like half full, you know. There's, there's your optimistic of time there. there. There you go. That should be enough time. You would hope things are figured it out. All right. Next up, the U.S. will have a population of three hundred million. Population right now. Is that exactly what it is? Little over 330 million. So I'll give them credit there. Population of the United States in the year 2023, probably 300 million, will imply an immense progress in the drainage of our lowlands and the irrigation of arid lands. That is farming terminology that I am not going to attempt to understand. But they got it right. So good for them. And who knows? Maybe their, their rationale is right as well. Next up. This is a list of predictions from 1923 about 2023. Canada will have a population of 100 million. They are far from that. Currently sitting at about 38 million. So not even halfway there on that one. So I'm sorry, Mr. Professor, Dr. Professor, whatever you are, you whiffed on that one. Canada may well have 100 million people. She is powerful now with her fine equipment for transport of commerce and trade, equipment sufficient to serve twice the number of people she has today. And with a 100 million population, who can set bounds to the power of Canada 100 years from now? Prediction from 1923 about the future of Canada in 2023. Next one. Newspapers will have been out of business for 50 years. In reading a forecast of 2023, when many varieties of aircraft are flying through the heavens, we do not begin the day by reading the world's news, but by listening to it, for the newspaper has gone out of business more than half a century before. I mean, that the time isn't right on that, but that that was... The trend. Yeah, the the, the, the trend was right. Right trend, wrong prediction, I would say. Right trend, wrong prediction. Although... Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Tribune, they do fine work here in the Digi- city. Yeah, digitize. Yeah, yeah it's digital a different, different world. I think they were talking about physical newspapers, though. So yeah. they, they were you on don't, the right track. I will say this. Right track. I saw this. Um, I have a friend who's an architect um, or does, like, architecture-type work. And I saw on his Instagram the other day, he was doing a project. And it was... Like reimagining some things in Chicago with outdated things that you see on the street. And one of them is turning newspaper like dispensers and newspaper machines into benches and like seats for sitting right like right along the, the street. The photo ops alone would be worth it. It'd be yeah. a nice little photo ops. Oh my god. Can you imagine bonds? those in Brooklyn? You you rip out a couple of New York Daily News uh, machines, a couple of New York Times machines and 
Turn them into these hipster little That's little a chairs. For the gram right there. That's a exactly. Right next to him there. How about yeah, that? Yeah, little little yeah, USB yeah, plug yeah. in there. Now we're talking. There you go. You can watch the old TikToks all day. Yeah. On the bench. And then this is the last one that I will share. This is this one's maybe one of the more comical ones I've seen. Flights from Chicago to Hamburg, Hamburg, Germany, will only take 18 hours. Flights from Chicago to Hamburg will only take 18 hours. Right now, if you go Chicago to Hamburg, I'm Googling this right now, the flight time on that, nine hours and 40 minutes. Mm. So good on you, innovators, for shaving that number in half. A new polar airline is open, making flights across the North Pole from Chicago to Hamburg possible in 18 hours. They they came close to the Concorde. Do you remember the Concorde time? Like how they were able to... And they scaled back a little bit because they're like, oh, it might be too fast. Because the Concorde would travel pretty quickly. Yeah. I remember as it being really small, but I remember being really impressed by like how fast that traveled. Yeah. Now we just need those those trains, right? Bullet train. Bullet train. Get us from New York to L.A. in a, in a timely manner there. All right. So those are, those, there you have it there. Those are your predictions from 1923 on what 2023 might look like. If you want to try to predict what 2123 20, looks like, all, all the three of us will come up with a couple predictions. That's coming up next. And if yes. you want to get in on the action as well, 312-332-3776. What will the world look like 100 years from now? This is Black and Abdallah. Chicago's home for sports. Black and Abdallah. ESPN Chicago. You're listening to Black and Abdallah on ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Listen to the show in HD at 100.3 HD2 FM. Thank you to Kale Jacoby and Nick Mozzala for producing tonight's show of Black and Abdallah. Tyler Rocky filling in for the guys. I will be back tomorrow as well from 6 to 8 right here on ESPN 1000. Get you ready for some NFL playoffs taking place this weekend. A lot of fun stuff happening this weekend on the NFL playoff side of things. And obviously we'll get into some more bears bulls are are playing france tomorrow too a little daytime basketball so we can uh discuss what's going on across the pond there um and then black and abdallah will be in from 10 to noon tomorrow filling in for greeny right here on espn 1000 live and local all day starting with cap and j hood at 7 a.m taking you all the way through to black and abdallah right here at 8 p.m all on espn 1000 all right, so we were talking in the last segment there. We had a list of a bunch of different predictions that were compiled by Paul Ferry. List of predictions made in 1923 about 2023. Now we've been tasking ourselves with what predictions we, myself, Nick, Kale, are making for 2123. All right, here's my first prediction. Our phones are going to be in our arms. That's wow. my first prediction. Phones will be a part of the body. It already feels like 
it is a part of the body yeah. that just isn't the Apple watches. The new appendage, but like, yeah. your phone's going to be like on your forearm. Yeah, that's my that's prediction number one for me. I like that one. I, I like that one. Like maybe a little microchip right in there. It just kind of yeah. reads right whatever the you're there. Maybe on the hand. Yeah, yeah. Palm. I think that's 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 the future there. I, I guess palm probably makes the most sense, right? A real palm because like you 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 go to to answer the phone. You know yeah. that actually pisses people off. Like Kale, how old are you? Twenty two. All right. When when I when I ask you to to make a, a motion of what it looks like to answer a phone, what does it look like? <laughs> I'll go like this. Okay, you got it. You got it right. You got okay. like the 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 hang loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of kids these days apparently Whoa, they go flat days. flat hand to the to the ear. Like they have a toothache. Because, I haven't seen that because apparently it looks like like a flat hand is more of the traditional look of like what the the iPhone is. Right, but you don't like have it flat a, though, aren't you? You're kind of cupping it like a C, right? Like no, normal. but like if your hand is the phone, like, oh, oh yeah, you yeah, go yeah. The like the hang okay. loose thing, yeah, yeah, like that looks like what the phone is. So that it, you're, it's your prop phone. Yeah, if you're using the hand yeah, as a prop, there's no mouthpiece there. anymore. Whereas on the other side, with a with a smartphone, you go flat hand to the face to the wow. ear, and apparently people think that's that's what a phone looks like. That is controversial. Which, I guess they're not wrong. We lost the mouthpiece. That's why we have it's just a tablet. Yeah. They're not wrong. All right. Do you guys have any I got, predictions? I got one. It's a it's a All sports right. one. Okay. Oh, Justin Fields will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There we go. And then, I'm not I'm not a Bears fan. I'm not a Bears fan. Okay. Does he have a wing? A, a, a what? A wing. What Does are he Hall have his of own Fame? Wing? Yeah. What are, what's the Hall of Fame going to look like in a hundred years? Is it still going to be in Canton? Yeah. They're going to move it? No, nah, it's going to be it's going to be in Canton. You got you got a lot of traditionalists. A lot of old timers uh, running that Hall of Fame thing. They're not going to let that thing move. All right. So you are calling your shot. Justin I'm Fields will be in the Hall of Fame. And I think we will be able to finally have a full meal in pill form. Okay. You're going to go to the concession stands in Arlington Heights. It'll be it'll be a landmark status by then. You'll mm-hmm. be able to get your uh, deep dish pizza in pill form. Book it. Do you want that though? Like I would hate that. I'm not. I mean, I there's don't. There's a couple th- like. Here's what I would do. I would, like, a breakfast in pill form. Like, you're on the go. Bam. You, you just pop pop a breakfast pill in. You're good to go for the day. I would sign up for that. A granola bar. Just but quick. I, I would never sign up for, like, the restaurant experience. Like, I like going out to eat or even, like, cooking for myself, too. I like the process of cooking, sitting down, eating it, and then you're done. Like, you I, just like, I just like food too much. They were saying the same thing about movie theaters. I'm sure at one point, oh, you'll never get me to sit on my couch. And I, I love the I love the experience. I have to be there. I have to feel the movie. If it's the full experience, and Wait, it saves you that kind of time. There's a hot take hidden in what you just said there. What are you saying? Movie theaters aren't a thing anymore. They're less of they're, a thing, yeah, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, they are way way less. Now that Netflix has their own movie theaters, I'd say it's. Hey, tell that to Marvel movies, Tyler. <laughs> tell tell that to Marvel movies we, that movie theaters don't exist anymore. Last night, yeah. <laughs> The future um, movies. It's just people like my, those numbers are so skewed too. Like my roommate's like, yeah, I've already seen it, the new Marvel movie three times. Like, uh, all right, cool. So you get the same group of people going back three times. Like, same false, group, false data. They're making billions of dollars every movie, man. False data. Oh my yeah. gosh. False data. I'm saying it. All right, that is our predictions for 21, 23. Maybe we'll 
if life expectancy is 300 years by then, maybe we'll check back in and, and mm. see if those were Follow correct. We'll, we'll grab this tape and see if all that's good to go. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Black and Abdal will be back tomorrow from 10 to noon for Greeny. I'll be with you tomorrow night from 6 to 8 right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports on FM 100.3 HD2, the ESPN Chicago app, and ESPN 1000. This is Black and Abdallah on ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports.